Speak the name of Jesus. Would you say his name with me? Everybody. Jesus. Oh, we can do better than that. Jesus. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 3. Because we're going to read the words of Jesus today. Revelation chapter 3. I thank everybody for being here this morning. It's great to see each and every one of you. Revelation chapter 3, we pick up reading in verse 14. If you found that text, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word if you can? Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. Can I pause there just to point out to you that this is Jesus. He has presented himself in reverse order. We know that he's the Alpha Omega. We know that he's the faithful and true witness. He's the same yesterday and day forever. If you reverse that, a verse where he says, I'm the originator of God's work. There's the Alpha. You see the Amen. That's, that is the Omega. That's the end. And the faithful and true witness is Jesus being Jesus all through time. So we know who it's from. Now let's pick up in verse 15. Here's what he says. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness, not be exposed. An ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And here's that pesky little phrase. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Would you speak to our hearts today? Would you speak to us words of love and yet words of rebuke, words of conviction, words of compassion? Would you open our heart and just pour yourself in it? Reveal to us who we are 
Reveal to us who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Perspective is a big thing. In biblical terms, in Bible terms, in church terms, we call it context. How you read things in context. We have been kind of journeying through this chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation and and studying the churches because the churches in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation that Jesus speaks to are the epitome of each and every church that's ever been in existence. No matter the name, no matter the location, no matter the size, no matter, they would fit somewhere into one of these seven churches. We have preached them, and I know everybody's not been here every time. So I believe with a simple click up there, I want to show you Ephesus was the careless church. And then Smyrna was the confronted church. The compromised church was Pergamum. The corrupted church was the church at Thyatira. The comfortable church was the church at Sardis. And last week, the consistent church was the church at Philadelphia. Those are the six. And then today, we come to the church at Laodicea, that I call the complacent church. If I were to ask that, somebody go, somebody ask, go, Brother Jerry, why do you call them, or maybe I'd ask you, why do you think I call them a complacent church? And somebody go, I don't care. It's kind of like the preacher. He was a discouraged preacher, and he went to his chairman of deacons, Mike. He went to his chairman of deacons, and he said, I'm so discouraged. I said, what's going on around here? What's the problem around here? Is it ignorance or is it apathy? And the chairman of the deacon says, I don't know and I don't care. That'll dawn on some of you about the time you go home. The truth is, the truth is, as I got ready for today, I came into my office early this morning and I began to read a little bit about complacency in general as well as in the Bible. Level one of complacency that the church at Laodicea was guilty of is the belief that no change is needed. Everything's good. There's, there's, there's no reason to worry about it. There's no reason to worry, to work, to plan, to pray. There's no reason. It's just everything is good. And I, I've kind of figured this out in my later years of life. It's because we have two or three different goals, purposes going on in the church. If your purpose is simply to have a church of unity and harmony, you've missed it. You see, unity and harmony are outcomes of the church fulfilling its purpose of presenting the gospel to the community. It's not the, it's not, it's the, it's not the objective. It's the outcome. God speaks to us about complacency and and we find so much complacent uh, things written about complacency here is that I read that about um, about there's no worry, there's no work, it's complacency. The first thing is you don't want any change. And then I found a book written by Tony Morgan that said, this is the title of it, Complacency Can Kill You. And then I went to God's word. Proverbs, I won't give you all those scriptures. Proverbs 1 says, the complacency of fools will destroy them. Second Kings and Isaiah says this, 
your complacency, God speaking to his people, your complacency has come into my ears. So I'm going to put hooks in your nose and lead you off. When we come to, we come to Laodicea, Jesus is vintage Jesus. As we read that letter, he holds nothing back. Can you imagine him being any worse, any harder on them? But it begins this way. I know. I know you. I know your works. I know that you're not hard. I I know all of these things. And he points out to them some really tough things. In fact, I read, you know, I read a lot of sermons of other preachers. The titles of this church has been everything from the church of casual Christianity to the clueless church, to the church that lost its way, to the church of who cares. My friend on on Thursday told me that he preached a message on this, the church of the second chance. Or even how about this? The church that makes God sick. G. Campbell Morgan said, Lukewarmness is the worst form of blasphemy. This letter is a powerful letter and it teaches us much, even about ourselves. What we learn about this church is incredible. He we know that when we read this letter, we're reading the words of Jesus, so they're indisputable. You may not like them, but you better you better deal with them. Second thing we know, we learn about the church is this the church at Laodicea is a pretty well-off church, Todd. They got some money. They say, I'm rich. You see, they were rich in worldly things. They were independent. They needed nothing just to be left alone. And the church like that will never experience revival. Because if you think you need nothing, you will get nothing. And likely, the church at Laodicea, they likely use their resources to help people. To help people in physical ways. And we should do that. That shouldn't be a problem. But here's what I'm going to tell you. The danger is, is we get so intent on helping people physically with what we think is the, are their important needs, that we forget that we become complacent to the critical needs, to the eternal needs. You see, when you, when you can meet physical needs, it's easy to become complacent, which is what they did. Jesus gives the church at Laodicea and us a picture And I want to unpack this picture for you. I could have complicated the outline a little bit, but I'm not. It's just four things. I'm going to give you four snapshots of that church. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to be honest. And I want us to contrast Laodicea to the 21st century church in America to maybe even a new hope on the creek. Let's begin. First thing I see, and I'd bring to your attention, is the condition. The condition of that church. Have you ever really thought about it? Jesus says, You're cold, you're not hot. 
I wish that you were cold or hot. In fact, you're lukewarm. And lukewarm doesn't cut it. And because you're lukewarm, I am going to spit you out. I'm going to spew you out. I'm going to vomit you out. That's really the word. Did you know that? It's emio, from where we get our word emesis. He says, he says, here's the thing for you. You're too hot to be cold. You're too cold to be hot. You're too good to be bad. You're too bad to be good. You're warm. You're lukewarm. You're tepid. And you're good for nothing. Not good for much at all. Do you know this? You do know this. Nothing starts well at lukewarm temperature. Ladies, how many of you have a recipe that says, get you a big bucket of lukewarm water? Nothing starts good lukewarm. You don't, you do not want your coffee, your Coke, nor your food lukewarm, depending on what it is. You want it hot. You want your coffee hot. You want your Coke cold. You want your food hot. You know why? When it comes to those things and things that nourish us, lukewarm tends to make us sick. Now, we do like warmth. We do like lukewarm. We love it. But watch how it plays out. Can you, can you put on your pretend mind with me just a little bit? Those who are here for the first time, you, you'll find that this pastor's mind hasn't worked right in 60 years, 70 years. It's not working right. But here's what I want to tell you. Pretend like... It's a cold night, 32 degrees, 20. You don't really have to pretend because you've lived through a couple of those lately, haven't you? And so the house is a little chilly. Maybe the fireplace is not lighting, is not warm in the bedroom like you like. Maybe the central heat and air, you got it turned down to save your Pearl Valley bill or whatever. But the house is a little bit cold. It's time to go to bed. It's a little cool. So you know what you do? You get in that bed. And you pull that cover up to your neck, and you try to get warm. Why do you try to get warm? Can anybody tell me? So you can go to sleep. It's not a theological question. So you can go to sleep. You get warm. You get cozy. And here's what I want to tell you. And you get indifferent. And unconcerned and complacent about everybody else in the house. Kids, do not bother me. I got warm. Honey, leave me alone. I am warm. I am comfortable. You're really oblivious to everything else because it's all about your comfort. (laughs) Now, I can see that I've got some real super spiritual people that have never done that before. Because you have not really allowed, allowed your face to smile in church. It will be okay. We do not have the smile police out today. Okay? But do you see what happens? You get all concerned about yourself. You get all concerned about your comfort. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about how dangerous, how dangerous being comfortable is. I want you to think about that. That term, the term complacent. Synonyms for complacent, satisfied, self-satisfied, smug, unworried, content, and even self-righteous. 
You see, when I see the church and I hear the words of Jesus, the church at Laodicea, and I see this, it seems to me that they believed their own press. They had heard a lot of people talk about how good they were. And so they become complacent to the things of the Lord. They ran their church without him. And complacency, listen, complacency has a first cousin named apathy. And apathy has a couple of siblings called indifference and unconcern. And here's the truth about, when you put all those together, here's the truth about Laodicea. They couldn't measure up. They wouldn't stand up. And they didn't straighten up. Why do I say that? Because Jesus, this dawned on me this week. Jesus said, I know your works. I know so much about you. He didn't say, I know your laziness. So they obviously were working to him. He he. He didn't say, I knew what you weren't doing. He said, I know your works. And then he follows. Are you, are you listening? And I wish you were different. I wish you would change. They didn't measure up, and he knew it. They couldn't stand up because they had been separated from the Lord. Two times he said, you're cold, not hot. You're cold. Your heart is cold for my work. Your heart is cold for my gospel. Oh, you have a hot heart for other things, but, but your heart is cold. Your, your spiritual temperature is lukewarm. And then he says, are you, are, you, are you with me? Track it. Hang on. I wish you were one or the other. I wish you were hot. Or I wish you were cold because you're lukewarm and it makes me sick on my stomach. Why would he want us to be hot? We know why he wants us to be hot, but why hot or cold? I have a theory. You're you're smart people. You've probably already thought about this, but I have a theory. Here it is. If your heart is hot, he can send his Holy Spirit in there to confirm and affirm what you're doing because you're, you're fulfilling his will. If your heart is cold... He can send the fiery flame of the Holy Spirit in there to melt that cold. I thought about this. I thought about my daddy and old Hank Williams to melt the cold, cold heart. You see, he sends he sends the fiery flame of his spirit to melt your cold heart. But if your heart's lukewarm, if your heart's lukewarm, he may send his spirit and you may never feel it. You may never know it. You see, the lukewarm heart is disconnected from anything that is spiritual through its apathy and unconcern and complacency. That's why the church will never straighten up. Because they're comfortable, because they're self-satisfied, because they're convinced, because they're even self-righteous. The complacent church will rarely measure up, stand up, or straighten up. Would you like to know why? Because they will rarely look up. Because if they look up, they're going to be like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. And when I looked up, I saw the Lord. 
He saw the Lord in his majesty, splendor, and glory. And then he saw himself in light of the Lord. He saw the holiness of God. He saw the wickedness of his own heart. He saw the grandeur of God. He saw the depravity of his own life. How long has it been since you looked up? The complacent church has to just look up and look at his face. You know what's amazing about Isaiah? He looked up and he said, He said, Woe is me. That's a good place to start. I am unworthy. I am unclean. I am undone. And you know what? And the people I run with are just like me. The condition of the complacent church. It's a pretty tough message. But then it gets to their confusion. Their confusion. You know, it's never good to be confused. It's just... You just don't want to, you don't want to drive confused, you don't want to walk confused, you don't want to be somewhere confused. You see, Jesus was zeroing in on them because he needed them to see their condition. He needed them to listen. There are many people in the church today that's heard enough messages to save the entire world and they've never listened. He who has a hear, let him hear. Let him listen to what the Spirit said to the church. When I, as I was Thinking about this, now most of you have heard this, so don't tell the story out from under me. It's an old, old story. It's a farmer. Um, you know, God wants to get our attention so that he can speak to us. It's enough word of a farmer that the farmer had a mule, Jimmy. He had a mule. And he bragged that mule, Sherman, that that mule would obey him better than anything else, anybody else's. And everybody knows that a mule is stubborn. And so his neighbors came and he hitched up the mule and uh, um, he clicked to it, nothing. Gee, haw, nothing. And so he walked over there and he picked up a limb and he walked to the front of that mule and he cold cocked it over the head. Threw the limb back down, walked back to back there and mule goes off. Gee, haw. Man, it just... And at the end of the day, you know, there's one in every crowd. One of the ladies said, well, that's good. You do have that mule train. said, but uh, don't you think you were a little tough on him? He goes, oh, I just tried to get his attention. That's why I hit him over the head. Sometimes God has to hit us over the head to get our attention. Hello? Oh, goodness. Is this getting too close to home or have everybody fallen asleep? The truth is, it seems to me that Jesus is hitting this church over the head. And he points to them and he says, you say, here's their confusion, you say you are rich. But I say that, I say that you are wretched. I say you are pitiful. I say you are poor. I say you are blind. And I say you are naked. You know why? Because I know you. See, the truth is, could could it be 
the message for the 21st century church. You see, the Laodicean complacent church, they thought they were up here, and Jesus said they were down there. They thought they were had arrived, and Jesus told them they hadn't even taken it off. They thought they had their hands on everything, and Jesus said, you may in this world, but you don't in my world. Hello? You may, by the standards of the world, by the standards of, of the day, you may, but, but not in my world. You see, the truth is, he told him, he says, you are wretched because you have replaced me. Listen to these words. You have replaced me with godly, with worldly gods, with worldly lords to rule your life and your schedule. You, you are, you are pitiful because you don't understand where it's leading you. You are poor because all of your treasures that you're laying up is on earth and not in heaven. You are blind because you can't see the truth. And you are naked because my eyes of fire, remember those eyes of fire in Revelation 1? My eyes of fire can see you as you truly are. There is nothing you can hide from me because I know your heart, I know your works, I know your attitude, and I know the truth about you. Brothers and sisters, no truer words have ever been spoken in any pulpit. Confusion by nature is dangerous. To think you are something that you're not is bad news. It's bad news in any realm, but for your spiritual life, for your spiritual life, it's eternally deadly. Told you I had a theory for you about about hot, cold, and how you could deal with hot and cold heart. I have another theory in this. I have a theory here. Why in the world was Jesus so hard on Laodicea? Here's my theory. It's because they had so much potential. They had been given so much, and he expected so much. Now, would you let me just for a second lay Laodicea over here and bring new hope right here? I've been here two, almost two and a half years. This is my humble and accurate opinion. I don't see another church fellowship in our region that has the potential to make an impact for the gospel in this culture than this one right here. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. I believe the reason that Jesus was so hard on Laodicea is giving them a lot of stuff and they were squandering their opportunity. Oh, Brother Jerry, we don't do anything good. No, we do a lot of things good. What are you talking about? We do a lot of things good. But that's not the question. The question of is, am I as an individual? Are you as an individual? Then are we as a church, are we living up to the potential, the expectation of the one who died to save us? Because there are so many around us. So many around us. 
that need the gospel, that need Jesus. Do we have to wait for an Acts 4 type of prayer meeting where God literally comes with his Holy Spirit and shakes the building so he can shake our heads and wake us up and shake our hearts? I'd call that revival. That's what I'm praying for. You see, folks, I wonder if the confusion of Laodicea is our confusion. It's their adversity. Just hang on. This, I want to give you the rest of this. It's not, that's the crux. Then I would point you to their counsel. He's got them where he wants them. He says, verse 16, I advise you, I counsel you, buy from me. Buy from me what you've been getting in the world. Spiritually, the layout of sins had tried to lean on their own understanding, do things their own way, and they came up spiritually liking. And he says, buy gold from me. It's the real thing. It's not fool's gold. It's been refined in the fire. Buy from me and you'll no longer be poor. Buy from me white clothes, those that, that stand for purity. So you won't be spiritually naked any longer. Buy from me ointment for your eyes. What you may not know is Laodicea was known as a medical capital. And they had ointment that could, that could do wonders with eyesight. He was using the symbolism that he had just told them about. You see, they were. He was trying to appeal to this truth that they were wretched. That they were pitiful. That they were. Blind, they were naked. Here's the answer Jesus says for your apathy. Here's the answer for your complacency. Here's the answer for your unconcern. Buy from me. Get it from me. And then, let's just move on down. Verse 19, watch this. As many as I love. Do you think this has been a hard message? As many as I love. I rebuke and discipline as many as I love. You know what, folks? Please listen. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he died for you. He loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay like you are. He loves us. He loves us too much to abandon us. He loves us too much to leave us in that complacent condition. He loves us enough to call us to himself for the greater work of bringing people to Jesus, of, of, of prayer, worship, evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, ministry. He loves us so much that he's calling us back to himself. Buy from me. Don't go to the world. Brothers and sisters, I fear in my heart that we're spending too much of our energy, time, money, and talent on the world. And he's calling us back to him. And then there's the cure. Most familiar verse in the Bible has many implications. It's verse 20. My translation says, see. Older translations say, behold. 
It's Jesus speaking. He says, I'm standing at the door. And I'm knocking. You've seen the picture of that door. There's not a handle on the outside. He can't let himself in. We have to open it from the inside. Hello? He's standing at the door knocking, wanting to get in. Let me just give you two or three pictures of that. First of all, for years, we have told someone who is coming to Christ that Jesus is standing at the heart at their heart door. Now, maybe for you this morning, he may be standing there and he may have been banging for a while. And he's not going to come in until you say, Lord Jesus, come in to my life. And if you say that to him, he will come in and he will dine with you. He will sup with you. He will eat with you. He will fellowship with you. He will lead you. He will guide you. He'll forgive your sin if you invite him in. And he'll forgive your sin and give you a, a future. Is he standing at your heart's door today? He's calling you. I was noticing today, I got, a, I got a reminder on a blog I wrote last year. Do you really want to go to heaven? That's the title of it. People say they want to go to heaven, but then they really don't like things on earth that resemble heaven. They don't really like together with God's people. They don't really like... To hear God's word. They don't, they don't, but they want to go to heaven. Doesn't make sense to me. But you see, Jesus is knocking on your heart's door. He wants to come in. Today could be the day you let him in. In the context of this story, I told you perspective and context is important. It shouldn't escape you that we have now studied. Jesus has written letters to seven churches. Those seven churches, some dispensationalists may believe, is the, is the period of time between the Pentecost and the second coming, and that each one of those churches represent a period of time. I'm not going to argue the point. I'm just going to say that it seems to me that in every period of time since then that you can find all of seven churches seen somewhere. But there's no lie, no doubt that that's the church age. And watch this. At the end of the church age... Jesus is outside the church wanting to get back in. And certainly, as we see as he's unpacked this, is that he's outside of Laodicea because they're too complacent. We just got other things to do. Their lives filled with other things. They're busy doing other things so they can't serve him. He says, man, you think you're rich. You think you have gold, but it's fool's gold. And fool's gold ultimately makes a fool of its owner because you'll wind up in spiritual poverty. Your confidence is in you and not in me. You see, today he's calling us back to himself. What a message for the day, for the Sunday prior to revival effort, that today he can, we can open the door. He can come into our hearts. He can come into our lives. He can redirect our steps. Because listen to me, the only hope this country has, the only hope this state has, the only hope this county has, the only hope this church has, is Jesus. I say this without apology. 
The greatest praise and worship music ever written was written in the 1990s. Just go back and listen to some of it. It was funny to me is that there were some spiritual songs and some people didn't like them because they didn't have enough words to them. But I'm just telling you, even as I stand here today, a song from then runs through my mind. My only hope is you, Jesus. My only hope is you. From early in the morning to late at night, my only hope is you. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, your only hope, my only hope, is really in Jesus. You see, when you look at this scripture and you draw it to a close, in Jesus we find hope, help, and healing. Those white clothes that he said by, we bow with our repentance. We repent. And we don't have to be exposed. We don't have to be ashamed. We find our healing. The truth is, a complacent church is a sick church. It's a church filled with sick believers, sickness, disease. Now, we don't think about this. We have some medical professionals here that will know what I'm talking about. Disease. Dis-ease. And it can be infectious. Applying the salve to your heart and to your eyes, the eyes of your heart, will allow you to see the truth that Jesus knows. It will bring healing to your soul. It will bring revival to your heart. Brothers and sisters, let us do business with God. If he's standing at your door and he's knocking, give him an open door to come in. If he's pointed out some things that need, you need to repent of so you can put on those white clothes, do it. Today is the day and now is the time. Let's pray together.